This is Chapter Eight of Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Greenman. Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc by Mark Twain. Volume One, Book Two, Chapter Eight. Joan persuades her inquisitors. When Joan told the king what that deep secret was that was torturing his heart, his doubts were cleared away. He believed she was sent of God, and if he had been let alone, he would have set her upon her great mission at once. But he was not let alone. Tremouille and the holy fox of Reims knew their man. All they needed to say was this, and they said it. "'Your Highness says her voices have revealed to you by her mouth a secret known only to yourself and God. How can you know that her voices are not of Satan, and she is his mouthpiece?' for does not satan know the secrets of men and use his knowledge for the destruction of their souls it is a dangerous business and your highness will do well not to proceed in it without probing the matter to the bottom that was enough it shriveled up the king's little soul like a raisin with terrors and apprehensions and straightway he privately appointed a commission of bishops to visit and question joan daily until they should find out whether her supernatural helps hailed from heaven or from hell. The king's relative, the Duke of Alençon, three years prisoner of war to the English, was in these days released from captivity through promise of a great ransom, and the name and fame of the maid having reached him, for the same filled all mouths now and penetrated to all parts, he came to Chinon to see with his own eyes what manner of creature she might be. The king sent for Joan and introduced her to the duke she said in her simple fashion you are welcome the more of the blood of france that is joined to this cause the better for the cause and it then the two talked together and there was just the usual result when they departed the duke was her friend and advocate joan attended the king's mass the next day and afterward dined with the king and the duke the king was learning to prize her company and value her conversation and that might well be for like other kings he was used to getting nothing out of people's talk but guarded phrases, colorless and non-committal, or carefully tinted to tally with the color of what he said himself, and so this kind of conversation only vexes and bores and is wearisome. But Joan's talk was fresh and free, sincere and honest, and unmarred by timorous self-watching and constraint. She said the very thing that was in her mind and said it in a plain, straightforward way. One can believe that to the king this must have been like fresh cold water from the mountains to parched lips used to the water of the sun-baked puddles of the plain. After dinner Joan so charmed the duke with her horsemanship and lance-practice in the meadows by the castle of Chinon, whither the king also had come to look on, that he made her a present of a great black war-steed. Every day the commission of bishops came and questioned Joan about her voices and her mission and then went to the king with their report. These pryings accomplished but little. She told as much as she considered advisable, and kept the rest to herself. Both threats and trickeries were wasted upon her. She did not care for the threats, and the traps caught nothing. She was perfectly frank and childlike about these things. She knew the bishops were sent by the king, that their questions were the king's questions, and that by all law and custom a king's questions must be answered yet she told the king in her naive way at his own table one day that she answered only such of those questions as suited her 
The bishops finally concluded that they couldn't tell whether Joan was sent by God or not. They were cautious, you see. There were two powerful parties at court. Therefore, to make a decision either way would infallibly embroil them with one of those parties. So it seemed to them wisest to roost on the fence and shift the burden to other shoulders. And that is what they did. They made final report that Joan's case was beyond their powers, and recommended that it be put into the hands of the learned and illustrious doctors of the University of Poitiers. Then they retired from the field, leaving behind them this little item of testimony wrung from them by Joan's wise reticence. They said she was a gentle and simple little shepherdess, very candid, but not given to talking. It was quite true, in their case. But if they could have looked back and seen her with us in the happy pastures of Domremy, they would have perceived that she had a tongue that could go fast enough when no harm could come of her words. So we traveled to Poitiers to endure there three weeks of tedious delay while this poor child was being daily questioned and badgered before a great bench of, what, military experts, since what she had come to apply for was an army and the privilege of leading it to battle against the enemies of France? Oh, no! It was a great bench of priests and monks, profoundly leaned and astute casuists, renowned professors of theology. Instead of setting a military commission to find out if this valorous little soldier could win victories, they set a company of holy hair-splitters and phrase-mongers to work to find out if the soldier was sound in her piety and had no doctrinal leaks. The rats were devouring the house, but instead of examining the cat's teeth and claws, they only concerned themselves to find out if it was a holy cat. If it was a pious cat, a moral cat, all right, never mind about the other capacities, they were of no consequence. Joan was as sweetly self-possessed and tranquil before this grim tribunal, with its robed celebrities, its solemn state and imposing ceremonials, as if she were but a spectator and not herself on trial. She sat there, solitary on her bench, untroubled, and disconcerted the science of the sages with her sublime ignorance, an ignorance which was a fortress. Arts, wiles, the learning drawn from books, and all, like missiles, rebounded from its unconscious masonry, and fell to the ground harmless. They could not dislodge the garrison which was within, Joan's serene great heart and spirit, the guards and keepers of her mission." She answered all questions frankly, and she told all the story of her visions and of her experiences with the angels and what they said to her, and the manner of the telling was so unaffected and so earnest and sincere, and made it all seem so lifelike and real, that even that hard practical court forgot itself and sat motionless and mute, listening with a charmed and wondering interest to the end. And if you would have other testimony than mine, look in the histories, and you will find where an eyewitness, giving sworn testimony in the rehabilitation process, says that she told that tale with a noble dignity and simplicity, and as to its effect, says in substance what I have said. Seventeen, she was, seventeen, and all alone on her bench by herself, yet was not afraid but faced that great company of erudite doctors of law and theology, and by the help of no art learned in the schools, but using only the enchantments which were hers by nature, of youth, sincerity, a voice soft and musical, and an eloquence whose source was the heart, not the head, she laid that spell upon them. Now, was not that a beautiful thing to see? 
if i could i would put it before you just as i saw it then i know what you would say as i have told you she could not read <clears throat> one day they harried and pestered her with arguments reasonings objections and other windy and wordy trivialities gathered out of the works of this and that and the other great theological authority until at last her patience vanished and she turned upon them sharply and said i don't know a from b but i know this that i am come by command of the lord of heaven to deliver orleans from the english power and crown the king of rheims and the matters ye are puttering over are of no consequence necessarily those were trying days for her and wearing for everybody that took part but her share was the hardest for she had no holidays but must be always on hand and stay the long hours through whereas this that and the other inquisitor could absent himself and rest up from his fatigues when he got worn out and yet she showed no wear no weariness and but seldom let fly her temper as a rule she put her day through calm alert patient fencing with those veteran masters of scholarly sword-play and coming out always without a scratch one day a dominican sprung upon her a question which made everybody cock up his ears with interest as for me i trembled and said to myself she is done this time poor joan for there is no way of answering this the sly dominican began in this way in a sort of indolent fashion as if the thing he was about was a matter of no moment you assert that god has willed to deliver france from this english bondage yes he has willed it you wish for men-at-arms so that you may go to the relief of orleans i believe yes and the sooner the better god is all-powerful and able to do whatsoever thing he wills to do is it not so most surely none doubts it the dominican lifted his head suddenly and sprung that question i have spoken of with exultation then answer me this if he has willed to deliver france and is able to do whatsoever he wills where is the need for men-at-arms there was a fine stir and commotion when he said that and a sudden thrusting forward of heads and putting up of hands to ears to catch the answer and the dominican wagged his head with satisfaction and looked about him collecting his applause for it shone in every face but joan was not disturbed there was no note of disquiet in her voice when she answered he helps who help themselves the sons of france will fight the battles but he will give the victory you could see a light of admiration sweep the house from face to face like a ray from the sun even the dominican himself looked pleased to see his master stroke so neatly parried and i heard a venerable bishop mutter in the phrasing common to priest and people in that robust time by god the child has said true he willed that goliath should be slain and he sent a child like this to do it another day when the inquisition had dragged along until everybody looked drowsy and tired but joan brother seguin professor of theology at the university of poitiers who was a sour and sarcastic man fell to plying joan with all sorts of nagging questions in his bastard limousin french for he was from limoges finally he said how is it that you understand those angels what language did they speak french indeed 
how pleasant to know that our language is so honored uh, good french yes perfect perfect eh well certainly you ought to know it was even better than your own eh as to that i i believe i cannot say said she and was going on but stopped then she added almost as if she were saying it to herself still it was an improvement on yours i knew there was a chuckle back of her eyes for all their innocence everybody shouted brother seguin was nettled and asked brusquely do you believe in god joan answered with an irritating nonchalance oh well yes better than you it is likely brother seguin lost his patience and heaped sarcasm after sarcasm upon her and finally burst out in angry earnest exclaiming very well i can tell you this you whose belief in god is so great god has not willed that any shall believe in you without a sign where is your sign show it this roused joan and she was on her feet in a moment and flung out her retort with spirit i have not come to poitiers to show signs and do miracles send me to orleans and you shall have signs enough give me men-at-arms few or many and let me go the fire was leaping from her eyes ah the heroic little figure can't you see her there was a great burst of acclamations and she sat down blushing for it was not in her delicate nature to like being conspicuous this speech and that episode about the french language scored two points against brother seguin while he scored nothing against joan yet sour man as he was he was a manly man and honest as you can see by the histories for at the rehabilitation he could have hidden those unlucky incidents if he had chosen but he didn't do it but spoke them right out in his evidence on one of the latter days of that three weeks session the gowned scholars and professors made one grand assault all along the line fairly overwhelming joan with objections and arguments culled from the writings of every ancient and illustrious authority of the roman church she was well-nigh smothered but at last she shook herself free and struck back crying out listen the book of god is worth more than all these ye cite and i stand upon it and i tell ye there are things in that book that not one among ye can read with all your learning from the first she was the guest by invitation of the dame de rabatou wife of the counsellor of the parliament of poitiers and to that house the great ladies of the city came nightly to see joan and talk with her and not these only but the old lawyers counsellors and scholars of the parliament and the university and these grave men accustomed to weigh every strange and questionable thing and cautiously consider it and turn it about this way and that and still doubt it came night after night and night after night falling ever deeper and deeper under the influence of that mysterious something that spell that elusive and unwordable fascination which was the supremest endowment of joan of arc that winning and persuasive and convincing something which high and low alike recognized and felt but which neither high nor low could explain or describe and one by one they all surrendered saying this child is sent of god all day long joan in the great court and subject to its rigid rules of procedure was at a disadvantage her judges had things their own way but at night she held court herself and matters were reversed she presiding with her tongue free and her same judges there before her there could not be but one result 
and all the objections and hindrances they could build around her with their hard labors of the day, she would charm away at night. In the end she carried her judges with her in a mass, and got her great verdict without a dissenting voice. The court was a sight to see when the president of it read it from his throne, for all the great people of the town were there who could get admission and find room. First there were some solemn ceremonies, proper and usual at such times. Then, when there was silence again, the reading followed, penetrating the deep hush, so that every word was heard in even the remotest parts of the house. "'It is found, and is hereby declared, that Joan of Arc, called the Maid, is a good Christian and a good Catholic.' that there is nothing in her person or her words contrary to the faith, and that the king may and ought to accept the succor she offers, for to repel it would be to offend the Holy Spirit, and render him unworthy of the heir of God. The court rose, and then the storm of plaudits burst forth unrebuked, dying down and bursting forth again and again, and I lost sight of Joan, for she was swallowed up in a great tide of people who rushed to congratulate her, and pour out benedictions upon her and upon the cause of France, now solemnly and irrevocably delivered into her little hands. End of chapter 8